So, this is going to be quite an exercise for me, staying trapped in this place. I feel like I'm an animal in the zoo, you know. I'm going to be... Let me ask you this. How many of you, when something's bothering you, you know, it might be in the forefront of your mind, it might be in the back of your mind, but something's bothering you. How many of you, it affects your sleep? A few of us, right? It affects my sleep when I get that. I'm, I'm blessed. Sheena can't sleep. She can't fall asleep. And for me, I'm the opposite. I kind of wake up early and the opposite. So, but it disturbs my sleep. And, and, you know, I was actually kind of bothered about today's message, to be honest with you. And, and uh, you know, it was bothering my sleep a little bit. Because, you see, we're going to do something a little bit different today. We've been going through the Gospel of John, as we always do, verse by verse. But, but what happened is that if you remember, the Gospel of John can be broken in half. And the first half of the first 12 chapters, and it's called the book of signs, you know, where Jesus is putting forth the evidence, remember this, about who he is and do we believe it or not. And then, and then the second half of the book, beginning to chapter 13, is called the book of glory. It's the last week of Jesus' life where he goes through his glory, which the glory of God is death on the cross uh, for our sake, right? And so here we are, we're starting Advent next Sunday. And so we didn't really want to go into the book of glory yet and then leave it for five weeks and then pick up. So we said, well, what we need to do is we should uh, remind ourselves of, of what it is that we are aiming at this year. You remember that we did this whole thing at the annual meeting and we sort of came up with, with our goals and so on. And so we said, well, we should, we should talk about our goals and our dreams and what God, we feel God has laid in our hearts for this year. Let's do that. But it was bothering me because it's out of my rhythm of, you know, just going verse by verse through the Bible. And then, and then the, early in the week, I sort of, you know in that, when you're kind of waking up but you're still asleep? Do you get that? Or maybe some of you just bound out of bed, but I'm kind of unconscious. And, and in my mind was um, a couple of verses of scripture. And you know how it is when you're kind of dreaming where things get jumbled up? And so there's a couple of passages that were sort of woke me up a little bit. And, the fa- and they're both very, very familiar passages of scripture. Foundational passages uh, for our Christian life. And the first one was, Therefore, going to all the world and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey me all the things that I have taught you to do. And then the second one is, is that passage. Whoa, look at this. Falling apart here. The second one is that passage where, where they're questioning Jesus. And somebody comes and says, Jesus, you know, what are the most important things? He says, well, listen, the first thing that's important is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the greatest and foremost commandment. And the second is like it, and that is to... Love your neighbor as yourself. And upon these two commandments, the whole shoot and match rests. This, if you want to talk about what God's about, it's about loving God with everything we are and loving the person that God puts beside us to the best of our ability. And so, you know, I kind of woke up with that and kind of jumbled and, and I didn't kind of catch on. And, and then I fell asleep again. And then I woke up again thinking about those. And then I realized, oh, this is kind of what we're talking about on Sunday. This is actually my sermon. So I knew it was kind of bugging me. And I hope it was the Holy Spirit giving me a dream. I don't know. That's what we're going to talk about. 
Because when I was saying to, to, to Chris, he said, what are you talking about? I said, you know what we're talking about? I had this kind of halfway dream about these passages, and so we're going to talk about living the dream. You know what? What is it that God has given us as the Grand Prix Church of Christ for this year, for this year, that we are doing? We sort of came up with three objectives that grew out of that annual meeting that we had, and the prayer, and then the elders' the process, and so on. And the first objective is, listen, to ignite our passion for God and for other people. It's that whole, you know, greatest commandment. And, and the second thing is what we want to do is create some highly relational, invitable events, events that people can come to and we can get to know people and people can get to know us and realize that we, we are actually as weird as they feared, but not in the way that they feared we're weird. And then the, the third objective then is to, is, is to you know, some way to, to learn and to teach ourselves and each other how it is that we can share the good news of Jesus and how it is that we can grow as Christians and as followers of Jesus so that we have the mindset and the heart of God himself. And these are sort of the, the three objectives that we came to. And so as the elders processed that, this grew out of those discussions and prayer times that we had, they said, you know, the, really the most important one and the foundation one is to ignite our passion for God and for other people because if, if what we do is not motivated by love love for God and true and sincere love for other people if that's not fueling everything if that's not driving anything then no matter what we do we're not doing kingdom work it's love for God and love for people that should drive every single thing that we do and it's not just a kind of a, a pansy manby pamby love it's we're, we're talking about passion here we're talking about an all-consuming sense of this is what is fueling and driving my life. My love for God and my, other, and my love for other people. And so he created a couple of goals to try and help us to do that, to ignite the passion within us. To get it going. Good thing you guys are sitting far back. I'm really spitting a lot today. I was wondering, how come nobody sits in the front rows? Now I know why. Shouldn't have drank all that water before I got up here. All right, so, so the first goal that we, that we set is, listen, what we want to do is to create at least three six-week sessions consisting of daily meditations centered on Jesus and weekly gatherings in which 25% of our teen and adult congregants will participate. The idea was that a bunch of us will move together in thinking about how it is that we love Jesus and to focus on Jesus. Because you see, if these things are not happening, if ministry is not happening in my life, if I'm not loving other people in other life, if I'm not growing in Christ, I'll tell you why that is. If you're finding it difficult to get up in the morning and to come to worship God or to serve people or to all those things, it's, it's because our passion, our passion diminishes. And so we've got to figure out ways. How can we learn about Jesus and, and focus ourselves in Jesus? And so we just finished our first session of six. Dave did it. All uh, the idea out of Galatians of what it means to live in Christ. And about 30 people participated in that. Which is really exciting. Because that means that there's hundreds of you doing your own personal devotions and you don't need our help. <laughs> and so we, we started that by doing it. So we get together on Saturdays and... David Benedict on Saturday. Man, was it good. It was, really, it was great stuff. And I talk about these things. And that we're going to start the second session. Chris is going to do it in the next one, starting in February. And you know, we do these emails and so that we can kind of all move together. And it's focusing in on, on who is Jesus and how can we love him and how do we love him more and how is that expressed? 
And then there was this second goal that, that tied into that. And let's listen. What we want to do is we want to schedule praise and prayer and worship nights in between these sessions. Now, we have them every Sunday morning and we come and you know, we have the table and we, all, we have the, the preaching and the word. So these, these ones, we only had a couple of them last time. And they're just special praise and worship nights where the focus is on uh, singing praises to God, on praying to God and praying for each other. And just a, just a way, because you see, the, the truth is that as we encounter God, if we'll allow ourselves to throw ourselves into worship, I mean, really do it. Not be afraid to, to dance and see. I can still jump, Dave. Look at that. <laughs> Not be afraid, to, but if we do, well, however, on your knees. Some of us, I know it. You know, it, it's we sung. Whatever way it is, if we will throw ourselves and understand that the living God, the living God, is among us, and His heart's desire is to encounter you as you worship Him. And if we'll just focus our mind and our hearts and our, and our, and our very being on, on Jesus, then we encounter God. And as we encounter God, we are drawn ever deeper into him. And so those nights that we're going to have, a, we're kind of busy this fall, we'll probably have the first one in January or something there, just to, to help us to do that as well as on the Sunday morning. And then the third goal that we had in terms of trying to ignite passion for God and others um, is to, to educate regarding and establish a system to encourage and facilitate spiritual friendships between adults in the congregation. Spiritual friendships. We all know that, that loneliness, I mean, you read, if we see it in the reports all the time in the newspaper and online and so on about how, how loneliness is epidemic in, in North America and COVID didn't help with any with that and people lost social skills and all of that stuff. And so friendship is absolutely essential for us. But this has got another dynamic to it. And that is to bring into our relationships the sense of spirituality. The sense of how we live out as beings who are loved by God himself. And invited into intimacy with him and with each other. You know, Ecclesiastes, I mean, it's a passage. We know this passage really well, but we don't live it. He wrote this. Two are better than one. Because they have good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity, pity anyone who falls and there's no one to help them up. And so many of us, when we start to stumble, when we start to fall in life and certainly in our spiritual life, we don't have somebody close at hand to help us up. And we sort of grovel around there and stumble around there and we just sort of don't go make it. And before we know it, we try to give up on it. We need spiritual friendships. We need spiritual connections with the hearts and the lives of other people. Now, hopefully, most of us are involved in small groups, and they're a good way to do that. But I understand, you know, we live in this crazy world where everyone's busy and shift work and distance and all those things. And so, and so this is where spiritual friendships can help. One or two people where you can just sort of in, informally gather and just have a coffee, have a breakfast, have a meal, go for a walk, whatever it is, and talk about what it is that the Lord is laying on your heart. And here's what's critical. That we don't just hang out with people who agree with us. It's such a temptation to surround ourselves and, you know, sing the same song we sing. So the best growth that you'll have is to be in dialogue with people who don't agree with you who have a different uh, passion for, for different causes and so on as you. 
And so that we, as iron sharpens iron, as the proverb says, that we can, we can grow in that. And so we want to we wanna talk a little bit about that next year. But how is it that we can have spiritual friendships? Well, the second goal is to create highly relational, invitable events. In other words, what we want to have is have some things that are highly relational, that we can invite people to, and it'll be a good thing, but, but it's an opportunity where it's not just a, you know, a sit there and walk away, but it's a relational kind of a deal where relationships can be built. Because we need to know people, and people need to know believers in Christ. Because the chances are, for the folks that don't know Christians... Their image of what you are and what I am is very different than we have of ourselves. And hopefully, maybe even different than what we are. And so, there's a main goal for this. And the goal is this. To execute two non-church, invitable, church-wide community service opportunities per year. These could be local, like my love pack, which we're going to do for Christmas here. Or international and national, like the meal pack that we did. Now listen to me. If you want to read a book in the Bible that is relevant to today's society, in my sometimes humble opinion, it's First Peter. We don't read it very much. It's kind of shoved towards the back of the Bible there, and it's Peter, and it's not Paul. But let me, let me explain to you what's going on in First Peter. In 1 Peter, Christians had gained a bad reputation in society, like we have right now. Okay? It was a bad reputation. And the reason that they had a bad reputation is that they were not going along with the social norms of the day. They were sort of withdrawing from civil society and the Roman games and all those things. Now, here's what was going on. The Jews, they were allowed to have a separate stuff. They, they, you know, the... the, the, the uh, the Greek mindset and the Roman culture, they understand that Jews are just weird. You know, they don't work on the Sabbath and they only have one God. We, we worship a pantheon of gods or this paganism, right? They've got all these different gods and, you know, the emperor, the emperor, we worship him. But these Jews are different. But what was happening? And so they kind of lived with it. But what was happening is that when you get to First Peter, Gentiles, non-Jews were coming to Christ. And they were beginning to live out the morals and the standards that Christ gives forward, which are very different than the moral standards of the day. And so it was one thing for the Jews to be different. It was a whole other thing when your neighbor starts living differently and won't come to the parties anymore and won't come to the temples anymore and won't come to the games anymore and all these different things. And so, and so persecution sort of began to arise. Because the Christians had this bad reputation because they were standing against what society said was good. It wasn't a persecution that came from the emperor down. It was just sort of the neighbors getting ticked off at the neighbors because they heard of this guy. Think he's better than me now? It was kind of the attitude. And so, you know, they would cause problems. They're saying they're breaking down the family and all this sort of stuff. And they'd get arrested and go to trial and so on. But, so they were beginning to have be persecuted, we would say. But it was from their neighbors, kind of low-key, because they were standing opposed to where society was at. And so Peter... Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit says, okay, Christians, you're living in a world now where you've got a bad reputation, where the things that you stand for seem evil to people and seem like you are a hater of men. This is where it came from, law courts in the Peter's days, is that they couldn't get them for all these other things. Instead, what they were found guilty of in court of law were, you are haters of people. You're haters. 
Because you won't go along with what society says. And so Peter writes this in this environment. First Peter chapter 2, just, just a couple of verses here. Listen to this. Live such good lives among the pagans. Pagans, because they have these pantheons of dogs. Okay, that's not a derogative term, it's just they worship many gods. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, though they accuse you of being whatever kind of phobe that there is, and your language is hate speech, even though they accuse you of those things, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. For it's God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Now, he does say, you know, be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have within you. But he said, you want to know what to do when you're standing apart from the world and you've got a reputation of being haters of men? Shut up and do good things. Live out your life. Live out this reality that our calling is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, here's what's interesting. I read, when I was studying this today, I read a New Testament scholar, and he said something really interesting. He said, you know, from the, from the human perspective... It felt to these Christians like they're being persecuted because they're misunderstood and being accused of all these things. And it feels to them that they're being persecuted. But Peter is written from the perspective of Jesus. And the perspective of Jesus is not that the Christians were being persecuted because these things were being said about them, being dragged into court and everything. The perspective of Jesus is that this was a discipleship exercise. That Jesus was going to use this bad reputation that Christians had put upon them because of their stance of versus social issues. He's going to use that to disciple them, to shape them, to make them more like Jesus. And as we go into these times where this happens, what God does, what Jesus wants to do is to refocus our lives and our hearts and our minds on loving the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and all our strength. And to truly and passionately love other people with sincere acts of service. Not a strings attached deal, but driven by genuine love. The love of God flowing through us. Serving. Serving. Selflessly serving is key to this day and age. So that people have to say, well, these Christians, they're kind of weird and they got some stuff that we don't agree with and so on. But at least they help people. At least if you're in trouble, the first thought that kind of comes to your mind is, man, is there some weirdo Christian on my block that I could go and say, hey, I'm in this spot. Can you help me? Can you stand with me? Can you lift me up? Can you weep with me? Can you stay up all night with me? Can you just do something to help me so I'm not alone? You're kind of weird, but I figure it's worth a shot. The great inviteable event that we've got coming up starts next Friday. 
this musical, which is a, a the, the message and the theme is, is one of hope. But we very deliberately partnered and asked that we could partner with Rebecca's love pack. So that we can say, hey, you know, we've got this thing and it's going to be good. But if you want to help some kids in the foster care system, homeless, gone through some kind of trauma, you know, then if you want to bring, if you, hey, look on the back of the sheets on the, on the seat you've got there. There's a list of stuff that Rebecca says. This is the kind of stuff we put the packs in. And we understand it. It's not, you know, it, it, it's, it's not like um, something that totally turns my life around and stuff, but it's an act of love and all put together. It can make a real, real, real difference in some kids' lives. If you want to know more about that, Rebecca, I'm sure will be happy to <laughs> fill you in on that. You're just sitting right over here with, you, with James. That's why I'm saying, hey, you know what? You can come to, the, come to this musical. It's going to be good. It really it will be good. And, uh, and that's great. And just come in. You don't have to bring him if you don't want. But if you want to make a bit of a difference, if you want to show some love in some kind of a concrete way, <laughs> then, then you know, here, here's a way you can do it. Here's a way that you can do it on the back of the sheets there. And then, and then everybody, every single person that came from child to senior adult that came last year to our love pack, uh, love pack to our meal pack, where we prepared, how many, let me just look at what we got here. We, we, we prepared 30,640 meals. Remember that? We raised the money for it. We created these things. And we had this, this great time together. In like a couple hours, we prepared over 30,000 meals. We're going to do that sucker again here, probably the last end of, of April, where we can invite people and say, hey, you know what? Do you want to make a difference? This food goes to, uh, if there's ever any disasters going on, it brings some relief work. Or, or um, if just ongoing for hungry people. You know, this is we're going to do 30,000 meals. Let's do 50 this year. Why not prepare to, be, to feed 50,000 people? Who of your friends and family wouldn't want to feed 50,000 people just by a couple hours of their time? It's an inviolable event where they can get to see uh, what's going on and how it works and make a big difference in people's lives. That's what it is, an inviolable relational events that somehow show the difference that Jesus can make in my life because it turned us into people Turn us into people whose good works will be seen. And somehow God be given glory through it. Well, the third objective that we sort of came up with here is to share the good news of Jesus and provide steps to grow as a believer. And the first goal that we set for, for how it is that we're going to achieve this objective is we're going to promote and provide at least one evangelism training opportunity to the church per year. Evangelism, of course, you know, we know it's got a bad rep and is there a better word for it? And you'll kind of wrestle through this whole deal because, you know, if you're an evangelical, then you've got to hate everybody. You know? But the, the truth is, evangelism just means, hey, it means to speak the good news. You know, here's something that's good. And so you asked in the annual meeting, you said, hey, we need, some, we need some help and training in how it is that we can talk to people about Jesus in a way that's, that's helpful and acceptable and understandable. And so Scott led one here a couple of weeks ago, and he'll do it again uh, in the new year. Another opportunity just to learn how to share what Jesus made the difference in the life. And then coming next year uh, in May, um, the 
Will Graham, Billy Graham outfit is going to be in town and they're going to have a, 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 a Christian life and witness little course that I understand is really good. My friend Hockley took it and said, yeah, it's really good. And so this is you know, part of the training, just how to, we're going to live these lives of love and hopefully sooner or later somebody says, well, how come you're so weird in this life of love? And hopefully we get to say, because here's what Jesus did in me. And here's the living God that loves you and died for you and wants intimacy with you. And how do we share that? And then the second goal having to do with that was to structure summer camps as an integrated outreach opportunity with one third of the participants having no church connection. Camp is one of the greatest opportunities we have for both discipleship, training people, training ourselves, and sharing the good news of Jesus. There's hardly anything that we do that can touch the opportunity that camp provides. You know, and I'm so thankful that our camps are sort of being revived after a couple of years of COVID wiping it out. So, and I appreciate you guys' involvement here. Do you know that last year we had 1,423 volunteer hours in camp? That's pretty good. It's pretty good. That didn't count what the camp committee does. That's just the time that was poured into the lives of kids loving them and caring for them and giving them fun and encouraging them and showing them that they're important and that they're meaningful and that they can be successful and that there's a God who loves them. You know, it's so important. This Billy Graham thing with Will Graham coming, I went to the, to the youth pastors uh, meeting, youth and children's ministry meeting with the, Will Graham, with the Billy Graham Association talking about this. And it was really, really interesting. Because one of the questions that they said is, hey, when you think about Jesus and you think about the gospel and you think about your city and just the, the what, what are the greatest challenges that you have in the city? What are the, what are the things that we've done? And it was really interesting because a couple of youth, youth guys spoke up and this is what they said. They said, our greatest challenge as youth pastors is that if children don't have a good experience with a caring Christian, Prior to junior high, it's almost hopeless. They've already decided. Because if they haven't had a good experience with Christians and with Christ, the message they get is that we're dangerous people, you know, we're kind of weird and kind of like they had in First Peter there. It's so critical. And then he said, this is our big challenge. And then, and then those that worked at the high school said, oh, yeah, I mean, if it's, if it's tough in junior high, by the time if they haven't decided for Jesus or at least had a positive experience about what, who Jesus is and what church is and what Christians are like, by the time they get to high school, it's like Everest, man. It's like, I don't know what to do. And then some of the children's ministers, uh, they, they spoke up and they said, you know, it's kind of interesting because uh, for us it's kind of opposite. Because when we, when we offer festivals and we offer programs for children and day camps and VBSs and, and all those things, the, the kids love it. And the parents are so thankful that there's positive, healthy things for their kids to do. They just love coming and, and you know, being in these festivals or if we have a, a Friday night uh, program. They love being in a place where they can drop their kids off and they know that their kids are going to be safe and that they know their kids are going to have fun and they know their kids are going to you know, hear good things and we're just so, so very thankful for it. And so this is why it's important that we integrate 
these special things that we do, like camp, into the whole life and ministry of the church. Because Jesus says, bless the little children, let them come unto me, for such is the kingdom of God. And we have an incredible opportunity and responsibility to love kids. To care for kids. Because it's tough being a kid these days. It's tough. And we together have the opportunity to make that toughness a little easier. And so we want to integrate these things so that we can be together in it. The, the, the third goal to do with this is to plan special events attractive to non-believers uh, to come and that they would enjoy it. They don't believe in Jesus. They don't believe in God maybe. But, you know, this is it's a good thing to do. And that's what, that's what this, this Christmas musical, really it's all about. You know, it's to give glory to God and all of those things and to have fun and to grow together and for us to celebrate. But man, it's this opportunity for you to invite your friends and your family to just come and just hear this message of hope. That's kind of the theme of the musical. And it's going to be good. It's, it's an invitable event to come. Hey, why don't you come and hear about hope and stuff? And you know, we're going to do the love pack for the kids. And it's going to be just a great evening together. And the fourth goal is to look at offering a foundations for the Christian faith class for new believers and for others. Really for all of us. Because here's the deal. You're being discipled. Right? You're being taught to follow a worldview, a system, a people, a social order. Every day, every minute, we are being discipled. Uh, some of it is, is discipleship through, through just sort of subtle cultural norms that are enforced by peer pressure. And we don't even realize that it's happening to us. And you know, it was quite a thing for me because when, when, when Sheena and I got married and she came into an English family, Sheena thought that she kind of had that down because she got Welsh heritage. Her parents emigrated you know, from Wales and stuff. And we realized, oh, it's quite different. She's, she's Canadian. There's all kinds of these things that we had to socialize her into proper life. Where it happens, you're being discipled, you're being socialized. Not necessarily in some malicious way, it just, it just is. You're being discipled by, by the media, by the television shows we watch, by the music that we listen to, by the social media contact that we have, by the advertising that we're surrounded to. Do you know this year they're going to spend $23 billion somebody's spending to change your worldview? $23 billion bucks. A lot of thought, a lot of money to shape me and to shape you, to disciple us into being consumers of certain products and to certain lifestyles. We don't spend $23 billion to do that. We're discipled in the educational system. It's such a crucial form for, for, for shaping people in the curriculum. And the, that's why, you, man, we need to be praying for teachers because they, they have such as this vital role. They're shaping lives, discipling lives. And they have to say they're followers of Jesus. They've got to do a lot of discerning here as to what they're, how they're shaping the students that they have. And there's other institutions and structures that they're discipling us from, from the government to the legal system to the culture of the corporation that you work for. 
There's a culture that they're saying, this is who we are, and this is how we're going to function, and this is what our people are going to be like. And all the best corporations, they spend a lot of time in culturing their people, discipling their people. We're, we're discipled by the language we use. I mean, think about the use of words. What words mean now? What words are acceptable now? What words are not acceptable now? What's hiding behind words? All of this stuff, it's all shaping us and discipling us. The political climate shapes us. It is so polarized and so combative these days. And before we know it, the whole society is polarized and combative and nasty. And, and these things, you are being discipled every day, all the time, very intentionally and very expensively. And truthfully, it takes a deliberate conscious effort on the part of Christians to be formed by God, by his spirit, by his word, and his community. Our little tagline is pursuing the God life. Pursuing what it is to live in the presence of God and to reflect his character. And it's not going to happen by accident. Because there are forces discipling you the other way and discipling me the other way. And we want to give God at least a fighting chance. And that's why we have these things like the, like the foundations class we're probably going to do and these online daily meditations and, and the worship services and the small groups and the spiritual friendships because you are being discipled. And what our invitation is as a Christian is to be discerning about who is discipling us and how we're going to be discipled. And to not just fall into something, but to instead be very conscious about who is discipling me, how are they discipling me, what am I becoming? And so we want to provide these ways to you, and then it's up to you to take advantage of whatever, whatever will help you the most. So we've got these three objectives and these goals that we do. So most of the things we do, I know it might seem to you like it's kind of random, but actually we do think and pray about most of the stuff we do actually. Not just heaping a bunch more stuff on you because you don't have much to do of an evening. You know, I'm so thankful to God for the great blessing over this last year. It's so great to see more people in the, taking the, the worship uh, together. It's so good for the service opportunities that people have had. I'm, I'm just, I'm excited about the growth in our benevolence ministry and the caring for the poor, getting more back into that. Things like the meal pack and, and the camp growing and youth group growing and children's ministry blossoming. And, and thank Jesus, we're not in a financial crisis like we were this time last year. God is blessed. I'm so thankful for that. I truly am. And I'm glad that the Lord through his people through the time at the annual meeting when we got together and talked about these things and then the elders pro prayerfully processed it and so on that he's given us these three objectives and he's led us to goals that we can pursue that will achieve these perspectives as the spirit blesses and works through them in us and I just want to invite you I, I just want to invite you to dive in we're all busy, and, and that's, you know, a lot of it's good stuff, and I'm not, you know, I understand that, and the different foci of our lives. But I just invite you to, to consider these things and participate in the things that will help you achieve these things that God has laid on, on this church for this year. And watch things come to fruition. 
Watch what it is to, I don't know how many backpacks we're going to be able to fill. Hundreds, I hope. But start next Friday night. It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity for these things to live out. It's the next opportunity that you're going to have. And I just invite you to consider who it is that you could invite to come and uh, be a part of this message of, of hope and be a part of blessing some kids who are hurting. It's going to be good. Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful that you are a God who cares, a God who loves, a God who in, you say it's wisdom to work through your people to achieve your purposes, to bring hope to the hopeless, to set free the captives, to give life to those who are feeling like they're dying, to give friendship to those who are alone provide for the needs of those without to nurture those who are struggling we thank you that this is the God that you are and you invite us into this ministry and we realize Lord that often for good reason your church your people have got a, a bad rep in our society. And when we, we confess, man, we have, we have blown it a lot of times and in a lot of ways. And it's easy for me to get defensive. You know, give, well, this is because, blah, 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 historic, da, 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 da. But nobody cares. It just sounds like we don't want to confess our wrongdoing. We don't want to engage the real issues. And so we want to be a people like you said through your Apostle Peter that our good works are sincere, no strings attached, acts of passionate love for those around us, that those acts would speak your name, that our attitudes would demonstrate your heart. Hmm that our lives increasingly look like Jesus' life. So that you are given the glory. And so that your kingdom can come on earth as it is in heaven. And we thank you that this is our calling for our life. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you don't leave us alone to do it on our own strength, with our own love, our own patience, our own kindness, our own gentleness, our own compassion. But it's your love and your compassion, God, that flows through us. So transform us, Jesus. Transform us. So we can live out these objectives in ways that give you glory. We pray these things, Christ.